All right, I want to start this morning with a, a bit of a picture and a, and a story. And it's from Judges 15, 9, verse 15, about a man who God sent to free a people. The Israelites are in an evil state. I'm going to give the, the lead up to the story so that I have to spend time in it because there's a, a lot of stuff I want to get through. But the Israelites are in an evil place. They've, they've been a, a people of, of awfulness, if that's a word. <laughs> evil people. And God, God allows them to go and be with the Philistines. He actually, he actually sends them to be under captivity by the Philistines. They're in a place where they, they, they don't know the, the rules and regulations. They're under captivity. But God sends one man to come to begin the freedom, to begin the salvation for Israel. And the man's name is Samson, a boy, born of a lady who couldn't have children. The story starts to sound quite familiar from the Old Testament that we read through into the New Testament. But Samson comes as a picture of Jesus. He comes as a, as a, um, a shadow and a type of what was going to come for the Israelites. But God sends a man named Samson, born of a barren woman, to be a powerful rescuer to a people who were lost amongst the Philistines in their evil ways. The story goes that Samson is a bit of a pain in the bum to the Philistines. He, he does his own thing. He, he creates a different way and a different path. But there's an interesting part of the story that Paul sort of touched on, not Paul the Apostle, Paul Tothill, touched on why he was here a few, a few months ago. And it really challenged me because... He, he was explaining this story in a way that I hadn't seen us as a people in the story before. Until he explained something that changed, that changed the way that I saw this thing. So if you've got a Bible, go with me to Judges 15, verse 9. The Old Testament, about halfway down through, this, through the, about the sixth book. <laughs> Judges 15, verse 9. Samson has upset the Philistines. He's, he's gone and he's done some things. He's, he's killed a lot of people at this stage. He's wreaked havoc to the Philistines. And the Philistines have become angry at Samson and they want payback for what he's done. So from, from, from verse 9, then the Philistines came up and they encamped in Judah and made a, ra a raid on Lehi, which was the place that Judah was staying. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said. And the Philistines said, We have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us, an eye for an eye. They quote scripture to the Israelites. We're coming by your rules and your regulations to take a man that we believe has done wrong to us. So we're going to come and bring him into account for what he did. The lady that bore Samson as a child had a, a word from an angel of the Lord who said, Samson will be the one who will bring your people into salvation. He will begin the journey of salvation. It says that he will begin the journey. That Samson will be someone who will free your people out of the captivity of the Philistines. Judah and the Israelites would have known who Samson was. That that story would have passed around that this is a boy, a Nazarene who hasn't cut his hair, who's come to save us as a people out of the trouble and the problems that we're in. 
they would have known who he was. That God had called him to a place and a time such as this. So the Philistines come and they say, Samson, we've come to take Samson. So 3,000 men of Judah, they go down to the cleft of the rock in Etam, where Samson was hiding. And they said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? Judah comes down and says, Do you not know who these people are that you've upset? These are the people we are under. This is the captors. These are the people who hold us in a place. We have to account to them. They are our king and lord in this place. We have to answer to them. Do you not know who you've upset? Samson, the one who's called to save us. Do you not know who you've just angered? The Israelites are called people. Are called people who had come through by God, been protected and looked after by God. Go back to their evil ways. They get caught in the mess of the world with the Philistines. And then God sends them a saviour and they say, Do you not know who you've come against? I was just saying to Mary before, it's so, it's so frustrating to read the scriptures and, and have to put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. But the thing is, is that we see ourselves there all the time. We see ourselves in this place. But this is an interesting thing. Samson then quotes the scripture back to them. He says, as they did to me, so I have done to them. An eye for an eye. We're even. They actually don't owe me anything. So now the Israelites, the, the tribe of Judah, are standing in this place where they go, well, which one do we listen to? They've both got a good point. They've both used the Torah to explain to us why they've done the right thing. Who am I going to side with? And they say to Samson, we've come to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. Swear to me that you won't hurt me. And they said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. You see, the Israelites, the tribe of Judah, Samson couldn't attack the tribe of Judah because God had called him there to fight against the Philistines. So if they were going to hurt him, Samson wouldn't have been able to fight back. He wouldn't have been able to do what he then goes on to do. If you want to read, Brando, you'll like the next few verses. It gets exciting in there. He kills thousands of people with a, or he kills a thousand people with a jawbone. He fights back. He does what God called him to do. He rises up against the Philistines and he takes to them. But the thing was is that Judah had a chance in that moment to actually side with the person who had come to set them free. They had a chance to stand with Samson, who God had sent, and stay in that place of freedom and say, hey, we're willing to do what you want us to do. But do you know what the Israelites would have had to, done, had to have done at that point? They would have had to fight. They would have had to give their land away that they were comfortable in, and they would have had to go to, go to war. They were two things. They were afraid of the Philistines, but they were comfortable in the things that they had been given by the Philistines. They had their plot of land. They had their little bits and pieces. They couldn't move outside that, and they couldn't really practice who they knew they were outside of that, but they had what they were given. And Samson, who comes as a picture of a saviour, says, I want to bring you out of the garbage into freedom, and they say, it's too much for us. It's too scary for us. I don't want to stand and have to fight because I could get hurt. Rather, let me stay and tend my little plot of land I've been given and not go into what they have for me. 
The reason this is so interesting that, that, that Samson is, a, is a, an archetype, a picture of Jesus, is that that's where we stand now. We stand in a place where we say, hey God, it's too scary to actually come with you. It's too scary to step out in faith into the unknown and things that you have for me. Rather, let me just stay in the comforts that have been given here. It's not as good as it could be, but I'm pretty happy with what I've got. I'm pretty happy with the little that I've been given. But God's saying, but I sent you a saviour. I sent you a better way. I sent you something. But guess what? I also sent you an armour you're going to have to put on because we're in a battle. We're in a fight. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to, it's not going to, you're not going to just walk out into that place. There's something that I'm going to get you to do while you're coming with me, who's your saviour. Yes, we are saved. But there is also a work that we have to do. There is also a job. That's why we have armour. That's why we have to put on the armour daily and operate from that place. Because it's in that place that we actually can stand and be with Christ in every moment of, of our lives. There's an interesting uh, study done by a psychologist from a bank robbery in 1973, and they called it the Stockholm Syndrome. A lot of people have probably heard of this. There's a lot of stuff that went around. It, it was a Blink-182 song, but that's not what we're talking about. It's now a syndrome that actually is, is used by doctors to say that, that something went wrong in their brain, that they chose... They were, they were so riddled with fear and comfort that they couldn't choose it. But there was a bank robbery in 1973. These two bank robbers took hostages and they held them captive in a vault for six days. In the six days, the two robbers took time. They got to know the hostages. They became friends with them. And one of the, one of the bank robbers said this. Actually, before that. When they were all released, the hostages refused to give up who the robbers were. They refused to testify against these two bank robbers who had held them hostage for six days. They refused to, to say anything bad about them. In actual fact, they banded together to raise money for the defense of the bank robbers. They, they, they loved these guys. They loved these two robbers. And when they interviewed a guy named Jane Eric Olson, who was one of the bank robbers, he said this, and I find this fascinating. He said, it was the hostages' fault they did everything I told them to. If they hadn't, I might not be here now. We, why didn't any of them attack me? They made it too hard. They made it hard to kill them. They made us go on living together day after day like goats in that filth. There was nothing to do but to get to know each other. He makes a statement where he says, it was their fault. I'd have been in and out of there in two days. I'd have stolen what I needed to have stolen. I'd have killed a few people. The cops would have come in. I would have got away or I would have been shot. But it was their fault because they made it so comfortable in there that I became their friend. Here's these two bad guys rock into a bank and they hold it hostage and then become friends with the dudes they had would have thought about they were going to kill going in. They became like goats amongst the sheep. I mean, sorry, they became like goats. They became like goats. Jesus says in Matthew, I'm going to take the goats from the sheep. You see, we have a decision just like, just like the tribe of Judah did in that time to stand with those that are accusing us, with our captives, or to let our crap go and to walk with Christ where he asks us to walk. This is the exact same picture that Samson's saying. 
we get ourselves in a place of comfort where we go, you know what, it's actually easier here. It's like when your car breaks down and you're driving with the light on and you're like, it's easier to just keep the light on than to drive it to the mechanic, have to work out the problems, how am I going to fix it? It's easier to do that until the car just breaks down then you have to get out and walk because then it's not easier. It's the same with the Christian walking. Guys, I'm not... I actually prayed during the week and said, God, give me something else. Give me another sermon to preach. Because this is so challenging for us. Off the back of my sermon last week, I'm like, everyone's challenged. I know because a lot of guys have come and said, hey, I'm feeling challenged. I'm like, we're already challenged, God. I'm challenged. Give me something else. Give me another sermon to preach. And then I was flipping through, a friend sent me a sermon and, a, and I listened to it and I'm, I'm not judging another man's work because I'm sure God had asked him to preach that. But I started to cry because I said, God, I can't preach that. That's not where we are. That's not where a people is that have to rise up to pick up what God's actually asking us to do. So much of the church is caught in, is caught in the comfort of our captor. So much the church is comfortable and snazzy in their little things. We don't want to give up anything. We don't want to have to give ourselves to anything because it's too hard. I don't want to fight because it's too hard. Rather leave me here in the mess and let me just get on with my life. And God's saying, but I've chosen you to come forth and to bring about something that I need you to do for the people out there. And God gave me this first. Go to 2 Corinthians, verse 4. And I read this verse and I I was challenged to my core because I asked for another sermon and God gave me this. It's more challenging than I thought it was going to be. It says this, 2 Corinthians 4. Starting from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I cannot, with everything that I am, bend my knee to create something flashy for people to come in and to manipulate God's word for it to be a a snazzy pat on the back sermon. I just can't do that. And when I read this verse, I was broken because I said, God, but this this way is is too hard. The truth is too hard because people don't want to pick it up. But he says, do not lose heart. I've given you something. Do not lose heart. The truth of my word will reign supreme in that. So much so that Jesus preaches to thousands. 
He refuses to bend his knee except what God says to him. Say this to my people. And he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all walk away by, by 12. See, we have to come up, become a people who are, who are incredibly fervent in not changing what God's told us to, to say and do. To live by the truth of what he says, even if that means wrestling with the scriptures to the point where you go, God, I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. And sometimes in our cunning and in the way that we, we dissect the word and we, we, we change the words and we, we use the Greek and the Hebrew and <laughs> as Kevin Zadiah says, the homebrew. And we, we, we use these words to manipulate the scriptures to make ourselves feel good rather than wrestling with what's being said and say, God, what are you saying here? Now, that doesn't mean that the Hebrew and the Greek can actually change the translation because sometimes in the translation of the Scriptures, they've done that as well to English to, to manipulate it, to say something it doesn't say. We have to wrestle before God to say, God, what are you saying? What's the truth of what you're saying here? And without cunning, but just absolute truth, we preach the Word. We preach what God has for us. We preach what He's saying in every area of our life. That's how we hold the line. That's how we stand up and we say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want all that you are. But when he gives that to you, when he gives that to you, we have to hold the line in the truth and freedom of who he is. There was a, there's a song that's come out recently and Sean and Coco sung a little bit of it today. And I wondered if they were going to sing the whole thing and I was going to, bring a challenge because I'm challenged by the song. The song is, is called Refiner and it says, God, refine me in the fire. Refine me. And Coco and I were chatting about it and, and she said, uh, I said, you've sung this, hey? She said, yeah. I said, did you read the lyrics? She goes, yeah, can I have a take back? I said, no, no, no take backs. You sung the song. But I've been singing it all week. God, refine me. Refine me in your fire. Refine me into what you have for me. Refine me in who you are. But what that comes with is a battle and a fight. What that comes with is, I'll pull you into who you are. But there's going to be something you're going to have to do in that. There's going to be something that you're going to have to do. Thank God that the tribe of Judah understood their ways. And they went back to fighting. They led the armies into battle. And Judah means praise, means worship. Glory to God, to praise Him. So they enter their battles with praise. They enter their, their, their troubled times with the praise and worship of God. Thankful, so grateful that they didn't lose their way, that they held that ground. But guys, this thing is not easy that we're in. It's going to be tough. And to be refined by the fire of God, He's going to pull you into a place that maybe you're not going to want to go. He's going to ask you to let go of some things that maybe you're not going to want to let go of. But just like the Stockholm Syndrome, just like that place, we don't realize at times the mess we're sitting in. We think it's comfortable. We can't see on the other side of the vault door as to what we're being saved out of and what we're being saved into. That there's something bigger out there. There's something, there's something for us that God has for us that he's saying, I won't show you what it is because if I showed you what it is, it's too easy. 
like I spoke about last week, we've got to step in faith with God. We've got to step in faith with who He is. There were two, there's, there's two things that, that I was thinking about this morning during worship. And one of those things is a, is a hip-hop artist named Lecrae. He, he was asked by a journalist why he had faith in God. And he said this, he said, if, if I'm wrong, he, he's a Christian, Christian rapper, in a very difficult industry to be a Christian rapper. But he said, if I'm wrong, I've only wasted a hundred years. If I'm wrong, I've only wasted a hundred years. But if I'm right, and the people who are saying I'm a lunatic for being a Christian are wrong, they've wasted their whole eternity. Everything. Everything they've wasted. And then I saw a sermon, an old sermon by Francis Chan, one of my, one of my favorite uh, speakers. He had this rope and he, it was a massive big rope and he, he, he had it, like 20 guys carry it on stage for him. And he was standing before a massive crowd of people with this rope. And he said, he said, guys, this rope is our eternity. This is everything God has for us. And then he, he, he runs to the end of the stage and he picked up this little piece at the end and it had a little bit of red tape on it. He said, this is your life. This is everything that you're going to live in this hundred years, give or take. And then he broke that little bit down in sections and the camera guy has to zoom like, like in and in and in to the point that it's almost blurry. And he's saying, see this little bit? That's the prime of your life. That you're going to give this everything to this and lose all of this and see we've grown up in this we've grown up in this this concept of of christianity where all i've got to do is just get to heaven just get to heaven but that's not what god's calling us to do he's calling us to live a life sold out for him and in who he is so that so that when we get to that place he looks us in the eye he says well done my good and faithful servant. Well done. You see, we have judgment all upside down. We think that we're going to get there and get a slap on the wrist for the things that we did bad. That's not what God's talking about. Jesus died for that. Your sins are no longer remembered as far as the east is from the west. He's not going to remember that stuff. But when you get there, he's going to say, I gave you all these things. What did you do for me? I wrote this book for you before you were born. I gave you a life. What did you do for me? That's where I want to stand and say, God, I did everything you asked me. I did everything you gave me. I didn't wallow in my own pity. I didn't stay with a captor. I didn't, I didn't have my comforts that the world had given me. I gave everything because you were worthy. Because who you say that you are, I believe. I believe in everything in this book. I believe in everything that you're saying to me. I believe in all of who you are, Jesus. And I've given myself to you. We sung tonight, uh, this morning, your love is enough. We then sung your love never fails. Your love is enough and your love never fails. Is his love enough to pull you from the captor? Is His love enough to get you out of your own selfishness, my own selfishness, and bring us to a place where we say, God, it's about you. When we read the Scriptures with these eyes, it is so difficult. 
Because we read things like Paul going into a city and getting beaten half to death and then pulling himself up that he was almost dead. Think about how much of a beating that is. That's not a cold or a flu. That's almost dead. That's one more punch and it's all over for you. He pulls himself up. He walks to the next city and he proclaims the gospel of Christ. In my suffering, God, I'll live for you. In all that I am, I'll live for you. I ask God for another sermon because I know we've been on this journey for the last eight weeks. But I can't get past this that we've got to we've got to ready ourselves. We've got to step up and be ready for what God brings us more. We've got to be ready to step ourselves out, lay down ourselves, die to ourselves. It's not about me. It's about all that you have for me. Everything's for you. Because I want us to be empowered. I want us to be strengthened. I want us to be able to go into the world carrying who He is and truly know who He is. I was cha- God challenged me this week. I had this thing in my head where I was talking about the fact that I'm not going to tell you what I did because I don't, I don't want to do that. But I, I had this thing in my head where I said, God, I love you enough to do that. And I played out this scenario in my head where I said, I would do that every day of the week. And I'm not kidding you. During the week, I'm standing in that scenario and I, my heart starts pounding out of my chest. I'm standing there and my hand starts to shake and I hear God clearer than I think I've ever heard him before. He said, would you do it if no one knows you're going to do it? So I did what he asked me to do quickly. I did it. And then I ran out and got in my car. And I drove home and I, and I said to God, I, I need to tell Jess. So I said, Jess, told Jess, and it was great. Jess was like, I'm like jittered, heart beating. And I said, Jess, do you realize what do you realize what this is? Is that God's saying, if you're gonna speak that, I'm gonna pull you into it. If you're gonna say that, I'm gonna pull you into it. If you're gonna say that you're for me, I'm gonna ask you to show me. If you're gonna sing, I'm refined by fire, I'm gonna refine you by fire. If you're gonna sing your love is enough, I'm gonna show you, is my love enough? You see, for so long, the church has been caught in this place of of Christian karaoke where we come in and we sing. But these songs are powerful declarations. If I put them in a contract and said to you, hey, can you sign this? You'd be like, I need to look over it. I need to have my legal team assess it. I need to make sure that I'm not getting myself into something I don't want to get myself into. You ever signed a bank statement when you take out a loan? That's like a three-day adventure. I'm like, what does compelled mean? Compelled to pay. What does that mean? What's this line? Can we double check this line? And then we come into church and we we, we start singing all these songs. And I'm like, guys, we we, we have to understand that if we're going to declare that in our life, if we're going to tell these stories of old, tell these times, this is how I used to be, my first question is, but what are you now? What is God doing with you now? Because this is challenging It's also not for the faint-hearted. God is calling us to something bigger. I'm going to read the back end of that verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 
7 verse 18. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also spoke knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Through our outer self is wasting away. Sorry, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For this light, momentary affliction, light, momentary affliction, light, momentary affliction, momentary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal momentary momentary we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory we walk these journeys of pain and suffering as they did in the scriptures. But it's for the glory of God that we can stand and worship his name. It's for the glory of God that we can stand and declare a bigger story, a bigger understanding of who he is. Does that make sense? Does that challenge you? Because it challenges me in a big way. We have to understand as a people that God is calling us to something bigger. He's charging us with a call to pick up who he is. We're going to go back into worship and, and I, want to, I want us to go back into worship ready only if, if we feel to do that, but to give ourselves over to him, whatever that looks like to you. This is something that, we, that, that I do often. I give myself to God. I give myself over to him for all that I am. Because I have to continually remind myself that it's not me who's living, but he who lives through me. That it's about his glory. So at times when I'm beaten, at times when I, when I feel kicked, I have to bring myself to say, God, for your glory I'll continue. For who you are I'll continue. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray and then we can just go and, and enter back into worship and, and just worship for as long as you want to. For as long as Sean will be able to hold out, we worship.
please don't don't feel you have to stay if you don't want to to stay we're, we're gonna just worship for a little while but if you do go just be mindful and just be be a little quiet while guys worship but I just want to offer us a space. Sometimes we, we move on without getting the opportunity to actually respond to what God's saying to us. I really believe that there's a, there's a moment now for us to let go of the, the garbage that we're in, to let go of the control and hold that we're staying in by the comfort, the comfort of our captor. Sheepers. How's that for a cap door? That's the thunderous word of the Lord. That we actually have to bring ourselves to a position where we say, God, I don't want to live in this place anymore. I want what you have for me. I want to come with your Savior. I want to come with you, Jesus. I want to be in you. I want to, I want to stand in you. I want to operate from that spiritual place with you. And when I don't, God, forgive me. Let me repent and change my ways. Let me repent and refocus myself back to where you have me. If we've messed up, God's calling you to a place to say, give yourself to me. Give yourself to me. Repent, change your mind, change the way that you think on off yourself and off the self of the world and the way of the world and off the, the ways the captors telling you should live and give yourself to me. So Jesus, we just come before you right now. God, we worship you. Come and have your way this morning, Lord. Come and have your way this morning, Jesus. God, we want to know you more. We want to see your cross. We want to see the power of the finished work that you did on that cross. We want to know you more, Jesus. For the things, God, that we've been living in, Lord, that aren't, aren't of you, that aren't within your kingdom, we repent right now. Jesus, for the things in me that aren't what you want in me, I repent right now, Jesus. I shift my mind back to you. I shift my mind back to you and who you are. You are worthy, Jesus. Come and have your way, Lord. Jesus, as we go from this place, Lord, won't you just burn in us? Won't you burn in us, Lord, to, to keep our eyes on you, to keep our focus on you, Jesus? Because you are so worthy, Lord. You are so worthy of all that, that you have, Lord. Of all that we have to give you, we worship you, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. And we worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.